Thank you very much, Gina, for your welcome to Melbourne City Church today. And it's certainly a pleasure to be with you and to be able to share with you for a few moments uh, this morning. Um, today is quite significant. Um, I think the the news of the day focuses upon the uh, the death of Prince Philip, um, a pretty major um, loss as far as um, many millions of people are concerned. Uh, the impact upon of Prince Philip upon the Edinburgh Award, um, young people, uh, the whole of the world has been quite enormous. And so uh, the whole world is grieving and uh, the messages of religious leaders and political leaders have focused upon uh, this person who stood for integrity and stood for significant uh, community involvement and engagement. Uh, possibly didn't touch the lives of many of us, uh, but we need to just pause and, and remember um, what our community is thinking at this present time. Great to be with you and to be able to share with you. Uh, Roy and Jenna asked me specifically to share with you about um, cultivating a disciple-making movement. Uh, that was the specific request, cultivating a disciple-making movement. I understand that Melbourne City Church is committed to this concept, to this vision of being not just an isolated group of people, but committed to the concept of being a movement for God that is touching the lives of people where we live, where we work, where we engage, uh, so as to share the story of Jesus, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And right at the present time, I'm in the midst of preparing a short series of 36 training videos around the idea of mobilising disciples, the first 12 will be for multiplying disciples. The next, mobilising disciples for multiplying church plants. And the next will be mobilising disciples for uh, cultivating movements for the kingdom of God. And uh, so by the end of this month, we will have completed the first 12, mobilising disciples for multiplying disciples. And so... The request to actually share and discuss um, the concept of being a disciple-making movement really kind of fitted right in with what I'm focusing upon at the present time. Yes? Yes? And is that going to hold? Yeah, great. Should do. Excellent. Um, and so I'm delighted to be able to share with you on this theme today and to inspire and encourage you with this particular concept of being a disciple-making movement, I thought that we should focus upon Jesus, the movement builder and the disciple-maker, the model disciple-maker. Now, I could share with you many encouraging and inspiring stories, not only of individuals, but of movements. Did you know that there is a Christian movement in the world uh, today uh, that is called No Places Left, sometimes referred to as No Place Left. And this refers to Paul's um, concept in Romans chapter 15, where he's telling of his desire to come to Rome, to share the gospel in Rome, 
and then to move on to Spain and to share the gospel in Spain. He just spent about three years in Ephesus in what was then called Asia or Asia Minor, Turkey. Um, and he'd gone to Greece to spend three months in winter, the winter of the year 56-57 in the first century. Uh, three months in, in Greece, in Corinth, um, to encourage the five or six churches that he'd planted in that, in that city on his second missionary journey. And while he was there, he wrote to the believers in Rome. He hadn't been to Rome, but he wanted to go to Rome. And in his letter, he says, I've finished the work between Jerusalem and Illyricum. Now, I'm not sure whether many of you know where Illyricum was or is. If you're from Europe, if you're from the Adriatic part of Europe, from uh, Albania or Montenegro or uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina or um, Croatia, you will know that Illyricum was that area of the Dalmatian coast down the Adriatic. And Paul says, I've finished sharing the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum and uh, there's no place left for me to share the gospel in these regions. So I want to come to Rome and then I want to go on to the country of Spain. He called the people of Spain barbarians um, because at that particular time the Roman Empire called Spanish people barbarians. They were on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, always causing problems as far as the Romans were concerned and as far as their expansionist uh, visions were concerned and so they were actually labelled as barbarians by the, by the Romans at that particular time. But no place left. It's not that Paul had um, visited every town it's not that Paul had made disciples in every region, but he had opened up local churches in all of the regions. You think of the places, um, Syria, uh, first of all Arabia, and then Syria, and then Cyprus, and then uh, uh, Galatia, and then Pamphylia, and then uh, Macedonia, and then Greece, and Illyricum, and then Asia. All these places he had planted churches. And when you read the New Testament, the concept of a church was that when there was a church, and a church for Paul was between 15 and 25 people. There was no church in the New Testament more than 35 people. Right? Keep that in mind. Not a single church in the New Testament more than 35 people. And we're discussing this a lot at the present time. What is church? Because the idea of a church being 50 people or 500 people, or 5,000 people, doesn't come from the New Testament. The idea of church being 50 or 100 or 500 or 1,000 comes from the 4th century, from the time of Emperor Constantine, not from the Bible. The Bible concept of church was something quite different. In fact, Paul would be shocked if he came to look at what we call a church today. He'd be really surprised. It was far more... He would be shocked to find me standing speaking to you in this particular way and you not talking because that was not church as far as Paul was concerned. There was engagement, there was discussion, there was interaction. There was no pulpit, there was nobody standing in front of pews or rows of people. People were always sitting in circles in households right through until the 4th century. 
Read the New Testament and you'll see that this is the case. And so he would establish a new group of faith in a place and then he would leave them because they were responsible then to reach the whole region. So once he had planted a church in Melbourne City, then he could leave because he would say, okay, these folk in Melbourne City Church, they will take full responsibility to share the gospel with everybody in the city of Melbourne and in the region of Victoria. So I don't need to spend any more time in Victoria. It's all done. Now, we, we kind of don't necessarily take that kind of responsibility in churches today and we kind of think of uh, being in, inspired and fed and encouraged and not necessarily taking full responsibility. But Paul was basing his ideas on the ministry of Jesus. And of course, Jesus, he was a movement builder. He cultivated a movement of disciple making that then exploded after he left this earth. So I thought for just a moment we would review the idea of Jesus being a movement building builder. The, the life of Jesus, when you look at the whole story of Jesus, can be um, partitioned into five phases with significant transition points in the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is God who become human. What an amazing insight. We call this the incarnation of God. Sent by the Father, he came to be the presence of God in this world and he was born a miracle as a little babe in Bethlehem, taken when he was about two years of age to Egypt, then brought up in Nazareth in the area of Galilee. The first 30 years of Jesus' life was preparation for his ministry. The first big transition was his baptism. And just after his baptism, he went into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And then he came back to the River Jordan and some men followed him, John chapter 1. They followed Jesus, the followers of John the Baptist, because John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming back, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And next day he said, look, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And, uh, and so these two disciples of John, they followed Jesus and they said, uh, where are you staying? He said, come and see. Very practical, down to earth, simple, direct invitation. The first invitation of Jesus in making disciples, come and see. Then the next day, after they'd spent a day with him, Jesus met them and he said, follow me. Second invitation in making disciples. So in saying come and see, he got them to come and spend time talking about his journey. Because after spending a day with Jesus, no doubt eating some olives, some flatbread, drinking some chai, um, we're not sure where he was staying. He said, come and see where I'm staying. We're not sure where he was staying at that time. Had he rented a room? Was he living under a date palm? Where he was in the desert in, in uh, the region of the Jordan River? We don't actually know where he was staying, but he said, come and see. And by the end of the day, the two who spent the day with Jesus, John chapter 1, the two who spent the day with Jesus could go to their friends and say, we have found the anointed one of God. We have found him. Um, he is the one that this, the prophets spoke about. This is the one that was prophesied all through the Old Testament. He is the one that would come to be our, to be our saviour. And, and then they said to their friends, come and see. 
And then Jesus comes and says, follow me. And they said to their friends, follow me. And you see, these simple invitations were repeated and used to multiply disciples. Now, after Jesus' baptism and his temptations, and he says to these first disciples, come and see. And we know the first two were Andrew and and Philip. And then they found their, well, Andrew found his brother, Peter. uh, And then Philip found his friend, Nathaniel, and said, come and see this one. And Jesus says to them all, follow me. Uh, He didn't have the 12 apostles at this stage, but they they went into Galilee to a wedding at Nathanael's hometown of Cana, which was a little village over the hill from uh, Nazareth where Jesus had grown up. And then Jesus took disciples with him and he went to Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem for one and a half years. We call it the early Judean ministry of Jesus. And by the end of that one and a half years, a crisis had come. John the Baptist was thrown into prison. Jesus was running into opposition with the temple authorities in Jerusalem. So he leaves Jerusalem and he went up through Samaria. We're told this story in John chapter 1. Following stories tell us about him going up through Samaria and he goes to Nazareth. He's thrown out of his hometown and he moved to Capernaum. So that was the next big transition point in his, in his life. And he began his ministry there in, in Galilee equipping and training disciples. But it's interesting to note that in the area of Jerusalem and Judea, John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 tell us that Jesus made more disciples than John the Baptist. And he baptised more disciples than John the Baptist. But then in parenthesis it says, but Jesus didn't baptise, his disciples were baptising. Now these were not the 12 apostles These were not the 12. He hadn't called them yet. He didn't call the 12 until two years into his ministry. And then he calls the 12. That was another crisis time in his experience. He had just called Levi Matthew, a tax collector for the Romans, to become a disciple. And Levi Matthew had said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the Herodians, the Romans, they were really upset with Jesus over that. And then also some Pharisees came from Jerusalem to visit Galilee where Jesus was now multiplying disciples and Jesus got into a controversy with them over the Sabbath. The Pharisees had a huge number of laws and regulations about the Sabbath which had made the Sabbath, instead of a blessing, had made the Sabbath in a great burden for people. And, and Jesus said, no, it's not about that. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees were upset with Jesus. The Herodians were upset with Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. So Jesus spent the night in prayer. The next day, he comes onto a hill above the Sea of Galilee and he calls a big crowd of his disciples. It says in Luke chapter 6, a huge crowd of his disciples came together and a big crowd of people gathered. And from the crowd of disciples, he called 12, 12 apostles. You see, Jesus was developing a movement. He started off small. He's calling people. He's using simple invitations. Everything about how Jesus made disciples was uh, on the path of life, easy, simple, nothing complicated. Come and see. Come and experience who I am. Follow me. 
Walk in a relationship with me. Come to a wedding feast. See how I live. Uh, and, then, and then participate with me. He says, come and fish with me. Come and fish for people with me. That's his third invitation. And then after two years, this movement is developing and, and Jesus spends a night in prayer. What am I going to do, Father? They're trying to kill me now. They've, they've got John the Baptist in prison and they want to kill me. What am I going to do? The next day, he calls 12 out of his large crowd of disciples. These 12 will become his movement leaders. And he preaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5. This was two years into his ministry. Now, when you read the Gospel, because the very heart, the heart value of the Christian faith is totally different. It is totally, totally different. Sacrifice? Give up yourself, love your, that's full if you can. But Jesus was implementing a totally different kingdom movement. Sacrifice, come and see, call to experience Jesus. Developing a movement. And then he had leaders who cultivated a sacrificial attitude. They were prepared to die for their Lord. They were prepared to die for others. And the final invitation that Jesus gave in cultivating his movement was given after he had given himself fully for us, dying for us on Calvary, where we see what God is really like. In fact, in John chapter 12, the writer, the gospel writer John says, Jesus was glorified. Jesus, God was seen in his glory when Jesus hung naked, abused on the cross of Calvary, dying for all people so that we might have deliverance from sin and deliverance from death. What an amazing, God so loved the world. He so loved you and me that he gave everything to bring us into fellowship with him. And Jesus rose from the grave and that Sunday evening, he said to his journey of movement building that Jesus was cultivating. I find that such an inspiring story, such an inspiring story to see how Jesus acted and operated as movement builder. Then we look at Jesus, the model disciple maker. Right, So we've looked at the big macro picture of Jesus cultivating a movement and how inspiring is that to see what he did. And of course, in the New Testament, the book of Acts is such an exciting book because it tells the story of how those early believers simply put into practice after Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven with the presence of his Holy Spirit coming upon them. The early believers, they simply put into practice what Jesus had modelled in his life and his teaching and his commission. He had modelled disciple-making. And in working with individuals, in sharing what it was to be a disciple or a follower of God, Jesus simply used these same basic invitations. He developed his movement with these invitations. Come and see, follow me, fish with me, sacrifice with me, love your enemies and receive the Holy Spirit. He used the same invitations in making disciples. So you read through the gospel stories. And the Gospel series, you have about 185 stories of Jesus, different stories, and they're all about him cultivating a movement of disciple-making, multiplying disciples. That's what it's about. All the stories. Followers are disciples. Who is a disciple? A disciple, short definition, 
A disciple is someone who makes disciples. Right? Longer definition. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who's growing more and more like Jesus in every way, every day, including in making disciples. That's what a disciple is. So you can be you can be part of a church and even a church member and sit in a church and not be a disciple. Right? But you can't really be a follower of Jesus and not be a disciple. So it's worth considering the inspiration that Jesus brings as we look at being disciples. But one of the challenges is, uh, as Christians, for those of you who are just looking at Christian faith, as Christians we've made evangelism or disciple-making so complicated that really only the professional can do it. So we've kind of taken it away. We've said, no, you're not skilled enough. Uh, But 500 years ago, in the Reformation, God gave the Bible back to the people. And there is a movement, and COVID has hastened this. Today, God is giving the church back to the people. The church is no longer today in the hands of the clergy. The church is being put back into the hands of the believer. That's one of the exciting things that is happening at this present time. So I was going to tell you there is this movement today called No Place Left. And I was with the movement leaders as they developed this vision in Manila uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. And they put in place a plan to plant one new church for every 1,000 population on earth. One new church for every 1,000 population on earth. And uh, it seemed to be an impossible vision, and it was. The idea was that in the next 10 years, there would be 5 million new churches planted. Well, uh, this group and all of those working together with them, or their partners, failed in the vision. But after 11 years, they have planted 2.12 million new churches. And you know where Christian faith is fastest at the present time? Not in China anymore. Not in India. The Christian church is growing the fastest in any place in the world in Iran. Multiplying. Thousands upon thousands of new churches. Not churches like this meeting in the open. But churches that are underground because the people are severely persecuted, prepared to lose their lives for their faith. Let's look at how Jesus made disciples. The same five invitations. Come and see. That's connecting. That's where we connect with people as representatives of Jesus. We connect with people to engage with people, to invite people to follow Jesus. So it takes us actually connecting with people to engage with people, to share with people. And then as people start connecting and start understanding just a little about Jesus, they become involved. Now, some of my neighbours are not necessarily talking very much about Jesus, but they are talking about, hey, um, come and meet Peter and Judy or... We meet them and come into their home. This is Peter and Judy. Their prayers really work. Right? So at least 
each week, my wife Judy and I spend time with three, four, five, six, seven different homes of neighbours or people who live right around us because we are responsible for sharing faith where we live just as you are responsible for sharing your faith in the place where you live, the place where you work, the place where you engage, the place where you relax. And it's our privilege to be followers of Jesus who actually share faith. But it's not that scary if we look carefully at the teaching of Jesus. Jesus taught very simply, and I shared with you the last time I was here, he taught very simply, if you can eat, you can connect with people. Because in connecting, he gave simple instruction in this uh, chapter, Luke chapter 10, and this little book is based on Luke chapter 10, he gave simple instruction. He said, this is how you connect with people, you eat their food. You, you sit, you have a hot drink, you share morning tea, you share a work break, you share a lunchtime with somebody, you're eating together and you listen. You're not going to try to preach and preach and preach, you listen. You listen to what the concerns and the needs of people are. Jesus said, eat and listen to their story. Second thing, he said, heal them. Healing people is encouraging people, helping people, guiding people. Um, it's also praying for people, offering to pray for people, giving people uh, support and encouragement. Remember the acronym, New Start? Um, Many problems people have because they're not aware of new start. N for good nutrition, E for exercise, W for water, S for sunlight, T for temperance or balance, A for air, R for rest, and T for trusting God. Right? So I just have that acronym in my head and, and as I meet with neighbours or friends or anybody and we eat and I listen, many of the problems that people have are there because they're not aware of the simple principles of good nutrition, exercise, water, um, uh, sunlight, trusting God, air, rest, uh, and trusting God, right? And so many, I can pray for you too. I Share your story of how you trust God. And then tell them the kingdom of God is near. So that's what Jesus was teaching. These are the invitations. Come and see, follow me, and then fish with me. Involvement. It wasn't a matter of sitting in church for three years or four years before you can do anything. As soon as a person starts showing faith in God, as soon as they start learning about God and these good things, they start sharing in their own way. And that's what Jesus always did. He got people involved straight away. And he equipped people, right? Equipped people with the great principle of loving your enemy. You talk through that. You think about that. You pray about that. Um, you share with people in a practical way on the path of life, remembering that the Holy Spirit is working through you and in you as we share. In Luke chapter 10, which I explore in this little book, If You Can Eat, You Can Make Disciples, Jesus said, when you go, he's training the 72 about five months before he's crucified, and he says, when you go into a town or you go into a home, uh, remember that you are the presence of God with those people. When you travel on the train to come here this morning, 
travel on a bus to get here this morning or walk the streets, remember that you are the presence of Jesus amongst the people that you connect with. You are the presence of God. It's that incarnation principle. Just as Jesus was God who came to live amongst us, you, possessed by the same Holy Spirit, who conceived Jesus, who filled Jesus, Jesus is present in you by the Holy Spirit. And so you are the presence of God amongst the people that you're going to share with. You're participating with God in this journey. I just want to focus upon this because um, Christian churches, as I've said, have made disciple-making and evangelism so complicated that they tell people, look, sit in church and be built up, and when you're built up, then you'll be able to share your faith. No, that's not what Jesus did. As soon as a person saw who Jesus was, engaged with him, they started to share. You have the classic case study of the woman at the well who within minutes had the skills to be able to say to people, come and see the one who has told me everything about me. The woman of Samaria. And it's through being involved that we actually really come to know Jesus. I want to, let, I want to share with you a basic uh, principle of spiritual growth. Some of you are early on the journey. Some of you have been on the journey of faith for some time. I want to share a basic principle. It is this. You cannot grow spiritually just through prayer and Bible reading. Doesn't happen. Right? You can't be healthy uh, physically just through breathing fresh air and eating good food. Can you? And now... You know, now that I'm getting much older, I've been in ministry 50 years, so over 50 years. So you have some ideas to how old. You didn't know I was that old, did you? You know, but yeah, now that I'm getting older, um, I have to be sure that I'm doing a lot of physical exercise and work. It's one reason why I say to people around the neighbourhood, hey, you got any work to do? I'm happy to put in a new retaining wall for you. I'm happy to dig your garden. And, and I get physical work by taking crowbar and pick and shovel and working in the neighbourhood. And meanwhile, I get good curry and chai and, and that gives me the opportunity of talking and listening and engaging with people, hearing their problems, solving their problems, praying with them and introducing Jesus. So I'm getting my physical exercise while I do that. I do not want to go more than two days without two or three hours of really good, solid physical work. I don't need to pay to go to a gym. If I take a crowbar and a mattock and a shovel and I dig up the neighbour's gardens according to their plan, um, then I'm getting the exercise that I need. But that's necessary for health, isn't it? Right? And for spiritual health. You do not grow spiritually just through reading the Bible and praying. You've got to exercise. And exercise is connecting and then engaging and participating in sharing the story of Jesus. If you're feeling a bit flat, a bit depressed, a bit out of it, leave your computer, leave your smartphone, And go and talk to somebody in need and start doing something physically for them in their community, working with them, sharing with them, sharing faith, talking about your faith, 
asking them questions about their journey. That is when you come alive. My wife and I come home and we are spiritually rejuvenated after those experiences. That is what God wants for us. But it's simple. It's on the path of life stuff. Every new disciple, every new believer has the privilege of being engaged with God in making new disciples. Making and growing disciples for God's kingdom is what life is about as followers of Jesus. I hope I'm challenging you. I hope I'm inspiring you with this reality. The story of the uh, Samaritan woman. This was at the end of Jesus' second phase of ministry, preparation phase, 30 years, one and a half years of ministry in Judea when he cleansed the temple and, uh, and made so many disciples. And then he's coming through Samaria. We read in John chapter 4, he had to go through Samaria. Well, he didn't have to go through Samaria. Jews didn't usually walk through Samaria. These were their arch enemies. You know, they were half-bred pigs or half-bred dogs, as far as the Jews were concerned. Right? There's been animosity for a long time between the Samaritans and the Jews. But Jesus had to go. Why did he have to go? Because he was obedient to his father's agenda. So he didn't take the Roman road up the coast, the Via Maris, the way of the sea. He didn't take the road that the Jews usually travelled up the Jordan Valley. He went through Samaria, sat at a well, tired, weary, 50 kilometres north of Jerusalem, and uh, a woman came. In the middle of the day, there's nothing to say that she was a bad woman, but she was a sad woman, and it was tough. Um, these are the invitations that Jesus used in connecting with her. Woman, stop. Do you realise who's sitting here with you at the well? Give me a drink of water. Stop and see. Then woman, if you knew who was sitting here, you'd ask me for a drink of water. Follow me. And then when she said, give me that water so I don't have to come here all the time, he said, go and call your husband. Participate. It's time to fish. You know enough. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, I know. He probably knew culturally because the way she dressed, the jewellery she wore would have indicated that she'd been married five times and that she was living with a man who wasn't her husband. Her jewellery, her dress would have shown that. But then he was also led by the Holy Spirit in the same way that you can have insight from the Holy Spirit into the life of a person. He says, woman... You want to make a big religious discussion of this? I want to tell you, there's days going to come when you as a Samaritan will worship with Jews, hey, your enemies, not in Jerusalem, nor on this mountain, Mount Gerizim in Samaria, but you'll worship together in spirit and in truth. This is going to take sacrifice because you're going to have to love your enemies. Went through the whole story there. What, 45 minutes or so? makes disciples. That's what Jesus was doing. Let's see if we can just get that video to go. Thanks a lot. Great. 
a series of videos on Jesus making disciples called Following Jesus. Jesus at the time, but we can be sure that those male disciples with him would have been very uncomfortable coming through this region. Since the days of the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel, the discord between these descendants of Joseph and Jerusalem had intensified. And with ugly confrontation over the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem following the Babylonian captivity, the Jews considered the Samaritans half-breed, unclean people. And the feeling was mutual. There were other roads that Jesus could have travelled, but the Via Maris down the coast was used by Roman soldiers and trade caravans from Africa, Asia and Europe. The preferred route for Jews travelling from Jerusalem to Galilee was through Jericho. But the Apostle John wrote, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Hot, tired and hungry, Jesus sat on Jacob's well. His Jewish male disciples went to the local Samaritan town of Sychar to buy food. It was midday. While resting, his attention was drawn to a woman approaching the well. What would bring this woman out at this time of the day alone? Why had she not come earlier with the children and women in the cooler hours of the day? Was there something about her dress or her jewellery that alerted him to her brokenness? Breaking cultural convention, Jesus sat by the well while the Samaritan woman drew water out from 40 metres below. Then he requested, please give me a drink. Surprised, shocked, the woman responded, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Read the story in John chapter 4 and you will see Jesus, the disciple maker, in action. Jesus used five simple invitations to the woman's reaction. Why do you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? Jesus responded, if you knew the gift that God has for you and who it is that is speaking with you, you would have asked me for a drink and I would give you living water. You can see him moving towards his first invitation. Come and see who I am. The woman reacted. The well is deep. You have no rope or bucket. Jesus responds gently. Anyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But the person who drinks the water that I am giving will never thirst. It's like a, a spring welling up to eternal life. Jesus is extending his second invitation woman follow me and she reacts immediately sir please give me some of that water it then seemed that jesus was going off on a tangent but no he was moving naturally and directly to his third invitation woman you must participate with me in disciple making fish with me go and call your husband this was jesus disciple making method as soon as there was a response to his earlier invitations, he called for participation. When John's disciples recognised who Jesus was, they called others to him. In the same way, Jesus challenged this new disciple at the well. She was not to sit in a synagogue or a church to first grow or to be built. She was to participate in fishing for others.
Jesus was making disciples, not church members. And he knew that spiritual growth and development only came through participation. How he knew her circumstances, we are not told. Was there something in her dress or jewellery that told of five previous marriages, her sadness, brokenness and loss? Remember, though, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, as we have the privilege to be also. The woman concluded that he must be a prophet, but he challenged her with the next of his five disciple-making invitations. The first three, come and see, follow me, and fish with me. The woman was tempted to enter into a theological controversy with Jesus over which place, on which mountain they were to worship, Mount Gerizim or Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. But Jesus moved to presenting his next two invitations. Invitation number four, sacrifice with me. The day is coming when it will neither be on this mountain nor in Jerusalem that you'll worship. You are to love your enemies for the day will come when Jews and Samaritans will worship together. And invitation number five, receive the Holy Spirit. God is spirit and those who worship him are to worship him in spirit and in truth, receive the Holy Spirit. And the woman responded, yes, we know that Messiah will come, the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. In that little video, we explore the story a little more and the invitations that Jesus gave. I hope that you've seen that Jesus' disciple-making was on the path of life. It was natural. It was simple. And so we've written this little book, Following Jesus, which actually walks through the stories of Jesus, all of the stories of Jesus in sequence, to see his movement building and his disciple making. And what we're finding in many different places around the world is that as groups of people like Melbourne City Church immerse themselves in this long journey, we call it a year deep in the life story of Jesus, immerse themselves in this story, reading every story in the life of Jesus and engaging with Jesus, the movement builder and the disciple maker, that the Holy Spirit who had conceived him, who filled him, who inspired his ministry, and of course who with the Father and from the power that was within himself raised Jesus from the dead and now anoints the followers of Jesus, the same Holy Spirit brings us alive in our relationship with God and in our sharing of faith. Also to support a disciple-making movement We've recognised that the processes that we follow need to be really uh, engaging and simple and easy for us to actually involve, be involved in. And so we have developed this process. We've given you each a, a little bookmark. We gave you two bookmarks. One I think we gave you last time on conversational prayer. And this other one on the back of following Jesus is discovery Bible reading. It's a very, very simple process of actually reading through the stories of Jesus. And so with a couple of neighbours, we're actually just in the process of starting with some new folk with this little book. 
I'm sure that you've seen this because this has been available for all pastors in Victoria and, in fact, around the South Pacific Division. Um, about half a million of these were printed and these are available for any of you to use. I think it's one of the greatest publications. You know what it is? Gospel of Mark, Gospel of John and the Book of Acts in today's living translation. So easy to read. And uh, when we have opportunity to talk with neighbours or friends, and I to some other neighbours the other day, we were in their home, and I said, hey, would you, like to, would you like to read the story of Jesus? There's a little book called The Gospel of Mark. It's only about 20 pages long. And we could get together and have a hot drink and uh, set aside an evening. So we're now just negotiating a time, probably Friday evening, and we're going to sit with those neighbours and their friends and we'll just start with the Gospel of Mark using Discovery Bible Reading. So on the back of this, it's a, it outlines the process. Um, it says, pray a simple prayer. Dear God, please guide us. Thank you. Amen. And then we read the first story in Mark and another one reads the first story in Mark, repeats it. Another one tells the story and then we discuss this story using these five simple questions. You've probably heard of the revival that was started some centuries ago by John Wesley. John Wesley actually launched the most significant revival of Christian faith in European history. I'm not talking about China or Africa or India uh, or South America, but in European history, the most significant revival of Christian faith was led by John Wesley. So we went back and we looked at what was it that led to that revival continuing on for 200 years, the most impactful revival of Christian faith in 2,000 years. And John Wesley had a simple process of people reading the Bible. And then he had a simple process of the same questions being asked every time people got together in a neighbourhood, in a community, at a workplace. And so using that idea with simple questions that are not religious, we have launched Discovery Bible Reading, which is now being used in literally thousands of places and, and, and dozens of countries. And so we've said to cultivate a disciple-making movement out of Melbourne City Church, you've got to have simple processes that everybody understands, everybody is on board with, and everybody can cooperate with. So we put together some basic resources. Multiplying Disciples is a, is a conversational guide. The Discovery Bible Reading bookmarks. This little uh, edition of the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John, uh, the Book of Acts, gives a great introduction to the Christian faith and the Christian story. If you can eat, telling how Jesus actually trained disciple-makers and following Jesus, the life story. Bookmarks in many different languages, I think about 30 different languages, and kids' bookmarks and, and uh, pretty bookmarks and basic bookmarks. I wasn't sure that we needed a pretty bookmark, but some people said, we want something a bit prettier than you've designed. And so they designed something with flowers on it. I said, okay, whatever you like. And uh, we've got it, bookmarks for Indigenous people, etc. And, uh, and all of this is so that we can all participate in 
the life, the teaching and the commission of Jesus, go and make disciples of all ethne. That's an interesting word. It means all tribes and languages and house groups and and relational streams, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Every one of us lives in some kind of relational stream, in an office, in our household, in our neighbourhood, and in every relational stream there are key people and we have the privilege of engaging with Jesus in making disciples. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I I trust that something that we've shared today will encourage you, will inspire you, and will help you to see that sharing faith, if, if it's getting complicated, you know you're going down the wrong track. Can I say that? If it's getting complicated and you can't do it straight away, it means you're actually on the wrong track. So we try to provide these resources that make the sharing of faith simple, reproducible. Anyone can do it at no cost Um, because that's the calling that Jesus has placed upon us. And many of us miss out on the enormous blessing of God um, because we're praying and we're reading our Bibles, but we're not exercising. And, uh, and we don't experience the full blessing that God has for all of us. So thank you, Gina and Roy, for inviting me to share with your church. Thank you for all participating. If you would like to participate with a question or a comment, feel free. We could do that for three or four minutes if you like. If you have any comments or questions that you might like to raise, feel free to do that. You don't even have to agree with me. You can disagree. My wife disagrees with me a lot. It's okay. We still get on well together. No? It's difficult to turn from me talking to raising questions and comments. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the privilege, the privilege of participating with you in your kingdom movement, not just sitting and being but uh, growing and participating in the whole concept of your kingdom for now and for eternity. And I pray for your blessing upon all who are gathered here today. I pray that some idea that we've shared might inspire and encourage, but help all to get involved in just walking in the story of Jesus, your story. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence who brings the Father and Jesus to us to live in us. We thank you, our God, in your holy name. Amen.